0: Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny talked from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6-11, through reminding us that the apprentices of Jesus recognized that everything they have was given by God to use wisely as stewards of the kingdom. Good morning, Remembrance Community Church. If you guys have your Bibles with you or your apps with you, you could turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We've been in 1 Corinthians here for a little over a month, so I want to give you a little recap and then we'll kind of dive in. So some of the key principles that we've been learning from Paul writing to this church in Corinth is that we are apprentices of Jesus. Oftentimes, the Bible says we are disciples of Jesus, which just means a follower of Jesus. An apprentice is one who uh, apprentices under a master, like if you're a Star Wars fan, right? The Jedis would apprentice under a Jedi master and learn the way of the Force. And to be an apprentice of Jesus is to spend time with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then begin to live your life the way Jesus would live if he was living in your shoes. We are apprentices of Jesus. And Paul encourages us in his first chapter that we have everything we need for this journey. We have the spirit of God. We have spiritual gifts. We have each other. We have the word of God. We have everything that we need. And then we've been learning towards the end of this a chapter that God's wisdom is better than any other form of wisdom, right? God's wisdom is better than any form of wisdom. We looked at that last week. We're going to look at that next week. And this idea of wisdom is, the Greek word would be Sophia. And there's another word that Paul could have used for wisdom. And the other word would have been the type of wisdom like a scholarly intelligence. But he does not use that word. And that's a word that the Greek people would have really grabbed onto. But Paul uses this word Sophia and its life skills. Or you could translate it sageness. It's like when you look at somebody and you go, that guy is living life, or that girl is living life like you should live life. They're a master of life. And the idea is that God is the master of life. So many people in our world are claiming to know the pathway to the better life. And Paul says the only pathway to the best possible life, the life that we might call as Christians a godly life, or if you're going to look at ancient scripture, it might call it a righteous life, the good life, the best life possible is found in God's wisdom. Not your own wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom that you've that you've grown up and formed through whatever way and you think you know and the way that you process life, Sophia would be, God's wisdom would be the right, the, the, the way to your best life, a righteous life. And as we dig into this, Paul is going to kind of unpack Three areas in this letter, and it's actually in his two letters, where, where this becomes kind of a litmus test. Where you could go, in these areas, are you trusting God's wisdom or the world's wisdom? or your? Own? Where are you getting Sophia, wisdom, life skills in these areas? And the first one would be sexuality. Hello? Sexuality. Right? Like how you handle sexuality, dating, swiping, whatever it is, right? All of those things is, are you trusting God's wisdom for these things or the world's wisdom? The other one would be power or the, the more kind of polarizing one would, would be a, a privilege, right? The idea of power or privilege is, is the, your ability to influence or, or, or impact things, privilege or power. How are you handling your influence? And then one more would be money. And so this morning, as we're going through this idea that God's wisdom is better, I want to pick one of those. And I feel, interestingly, the, the least awkward of all of those to start with is money. Money, how you handle, how you view, how you, how you, how you leverage your money is a big deal. Now, a recent study, a recent survey from Hogwarts revealed that 12 out of 10 agree that talking about money in church is awkward. Now, if your brain listened to that statement and you're like, does not compute, congratulations, you're not crazy. Two of those three facts are not true. That's fake news. Hogwarts School is from Harry Potter. That's not even a real place. There's no survey that happened there. And if you survey 10 people, there's no way that you're going to get 12 of them to to serve it. Well, actually in our world, how often do we do do people give their opinion when they're not asked? But for a survey, this isn't true, but the one thing that is true is it is a bit awkward to talk about money in church. But the fact is that Jesus did not shy away from talking about money As the rabbi of these apprentices, matter of fact, 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus told, parables were one of the ways Jesus taught people about life skills, about life and the kingdom. And 11 of those parables, those short stories that had a bigger meaning, were were about money, or they at least mentioned money. Jeff Poor, in this uh, in relevant magazine, he wrote an article that he entitled, "Jesus' Most Common Teaching wasn't about Money." It wasn't about money. He opened saying, if, "If you have been in church during a money series, I guarantee the pastor said Jesus taught more about money than he did any other topic." Often pastors will say that, because 11 out of 39, that's almost a third of the, of the stories reference money and then he points out that in contrast to the 11 out of 39 that talk about uh, money he said 18 out of 39 mentioned food and he reasons that doesn't make food the point of the stories and I thought that's a pretty good point that he's making so okay Jesus wasn't consumed with money but he does mention money a lot in his stories It's not the point he's trying to make, but Jesus knew that people, we, are consumed with money and food. So these topics become rich contexts to teach people about the deeper things of the kingdom of God. How we handle our money says a lot about the condition of our hearts, about the condition of our faith, about the condition of our worship, and so much more. So Jesus uses it as an analogy so often. And Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, He says, Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. He says, Where, mat, where moth and rust destroy. Rather, store up treasures in heaven. One of my favorite stories that Jesus tells he's sitting in the temple with his disciples, his 12 disciples, and they're looking across at the place where people, the offering box, where people are putting in money. This one guy comes up, he's obviously super wealthy the way that he's dressing, takes a huge wad of cash and throws it in so everybody can see. And then this poor, probably just dirty and and obviously maybe homeless woman walks up, And she puts in two small coins. And Jesus asks this question to his disciples, which one of these two gave more? I mean, I'm no math genius, they said to Jesus, but it sure seems like the guy who gave more, gave more. And Jesus, in his sageness, says, no, actually, that guy gave out of his access, but that woman gave all that she had to live on, She gave more than that guy. This is a profound, deep thing about money. Mark's Mark's gospel records a story where a woman walks into a meal that Jesus is having, table fellowship. Walks in, she's, she's known, she's labeled in society as a sinful woman right? Let your imagination kind of go with it. This woman walks in. Everybody's kind of judging her. They're judging her in his heart, and she pours this expensive perfume on Jesus's feet. Well, people begin to judge her not only in their heart, but one says out loud, you rebukes her. You should have given that money, sold that, and given the money to the poor. And Jesus, in his sageness, rebukes them and says, Her worship with this this resource is to be commended. She's worshiping with her heart. Do not stop her. Jesus talks about money a lot. The fact is that most churches either err on two sides of this this topic about money. Either churches talk about money way too much or they don't talk about it enough. This morning, I want to look at what Paul says about money. And you guys are on 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you guys to swipe right. We're actually going to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's where we're going to find our passage this morning. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're just going to look at verses 6 through 11. What does Paul say to this affluent Society that is really confused about where wisdom comes from. What, who, who do we follow? Whose wisdom do we follow? And Paul says, the point is this. That's a pretty good beginning, right? What's the point? The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, this is an idea of farming. How many of you guys are farmers? Don't raise your hand. None of you are farmers, right? But actually, one of us is a farmer. I believe that that's true, and I want some of your produce, right? But, but this idea of sowing would be that you have seed, and you're going to scatter the seed. And this idea of reaping would be, after you scatter the seed, hopefully all things go well, and it's watered, and, and things happen. And then something grows up, and then you get to benefit from what you sow. That's reaping. And so that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. He goes, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do, uh, should do as he has decided in his heart, or should give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. That's a reference from the Proverbs, a book of wisdom. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Another reference from Psalm 112. And now the one who provides seed for the sower... And bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Amen. And the first thing in your notes, the first fill in in your notes is this. Everything ultimately belongs to God. That's where we begin this journey. Everything ultimately belongs to God. And Paul says in verse 10, he goes, Now the one who provides seed for the sower. Who's that? That's God. God provides the seed to the sower and bread for food. And he will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God is the one who provides the seed. God is able to provide. Why? Because everything is his. Everything is God's. So the first principle in this idea that you need to know is this, that as apprentices of Jesus, people who are following Jesus, saying we want to spend time with Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, we want to begin to live our life the way that Jesus would live our, our lives, apprentices of Jesus recognize that what they have is only theirs from God to steward for his kingdom. What you have is the Lord's. Dallas Willard says that disciples are those who seriously, intending to become like Jesus from the inside out, systematically and progressively rearrange their affairs to that end under the guidance of the Word and the Spirit. Rearranging our perspectives on things like money and generosity is an apprenticeship issue. It's a discipleship issue. We're talking not about money this morning. We're talking about discipleship. Tim Keller says a steward is a person who has been entrusted with another's resources and who seeks to manage those resources according to the owner's vision and values. Are we looking to God and saying, what are your vision and values? and values, and then taking your provision and making, spending it on, on his values, what he values. And this, perf- this perspective starts with the recognition that everything is God's. The psalmist in Psalm 24 says that. He goes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Last year, Forbes magazine interviewed this guy, Peter Grandich. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he wrote a book called Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid. He made millions as a manager of professional athletes and built a whole company around it and became a Fortune 500 company. And then he wrote this book as he realized all that money left him empty spiritually, It didn't fulfill his greatest need. And he found that in God. And one of the quotes in the article says, what is Grandich's number one most important biblical rule of finance? He said, God owns everything. You may have bought that house, but he gave you the money to buy it. So it is his. He didn't didn't get that wisdom from nowhere. This is the same wisdom in the ancient book of Deuteronomy that Moses shares with the people of Israel, God's people. In Deuteronomy 8, it says this, it goes, Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Don't forget God. When you eat and are full... And build beautiful houses to live in And your herds and flocks grow large And your silver and gold multiply And everything else that you have increases Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud And you forget the Lord uh, who, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt In that state you may say to yourself My power and my own ability Have gained this wealth for me But remember that the Lord your God Gives you the power to gain wealth It comes from the Lord And the second principle is this. God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything from us. But he asks us to give, which is an invitation to participate in what God is doing. One pastor that I love to listen to, his name is Louis Giglio. Uh, he has this great sermon about generosity, and, and, he, and he draws from this, this obscure passage that I would never have thought of for generosity uh, called the, the, the triumphal entry. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem the last week of his life, we, got, we celebrated on, on Palm Sunday. Remember, he, he enters in on a what? On a donkey. And, and the story is, it says in, in Luke 19... It says as Jesus approaches Jerusalem he sent two of the disciples and said go into the village ahead as you enter it you will find a colt tied there a little donkey on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it if anyone asks you why are you untying this donkey say this the lord needs it so Jesus is going to tell his disciples like go into town ahead of me and you're going to see a donkey Prophetic. When you see that donkey, I need that donkey. So tell the owner that I need it, and suppose, I guess it's going to work out, right? Like Jesus. Got, and this is this is actually a, a prophecy from the Old Testament in Zechariah. But think about and, and Louis Giglio points out. Think about the absurdity of this story, that Jesus needs a small donkey, and he sends his people ahead into the in, in, into the city to ask for a small donkey. I mean, Jesus, who walked on water, asked his disciples to walk in and ask for a donkey and says, I need that donkey, right? Jesus, who has the power of, of creation, can just, like, create a helicopter, could create, you know, a tank, could just, just, just like, like, disappear and then show up again some other place, rides in on a donkey, and he gets that donkey from some guy that we don't even know about gets to be part of this story because he said, okay, you can use my donkey. Because Jesus said, I want to make you a part of this story by inviting you to participate by giving me your donkey. We get get invited in to the story. Jesus doesn't need your donkey. He doesn't need your dollars. He needs your heart. And he invites you into this process Oswald Chambers, who wrote "Utmost uh, for His Highest, a great resource if you're looking for like a daily read-along. Um, you can also get into our He Reads Truth, She Reads Truth. But Os- I love me some Oswald Chambers. He says, God wants us. He doesn't need us. He invites us to participate in his mission. And the third principle that we would, we would draw from this is that everything you have is from the Lord And he is is able to provide everything that you need. Everything you have is already from God. And he's able to provide everything that you need. You don't need to have an anxiety attack about money if you're with the Lord. God, God has everything at his disposal. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, we read, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Grace is, remember we learned earlier that grace is God's presence with us, his empowering presence with us. God's empowering presence. When Paul goes, you have everything that you need. You have God's grace and his spirit. We, we have his empowering presence. And here he goes, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. But What's the application? The application is this God gives us enough so that we can give towards the work that He's doing in the world. God gives us what we need. His grace is overflowed and He's able to give us enough. And He gives us enough so that we can be generous, so that we can give some of what He gives. He invites us to participate through our generosity, which He gave to us. In the first place, he provides, and some of that is for stewardship. All of it is for stewardship, but specifically in generosity and giving to the poor and to the mission of God through the church. And here's the thing. You can always spend every penny or beyond what you have, can't you? If you're a multimillionaire, you could spend it all. We've seen so many examples of that. So the idea isn't, do I feel like I have enough? Has God provided enough? The fact is, what the Bible is saying is, no, whatever you have is enough, and part of that is for generosity. So you you set your means at that place. It's a discipline to set your means that some of this is for generosity. Now, here's the second thing in your notes, the fill-in. Every apprentice of Jesus should give every apprentice of Jesus should give. A friend of mine told me this story. He's now the same age as me We went to high school together, but he told me this story. He grew up Catholic. His name is Johnny, and when Johnny was nine years old, he used to live on Avenue G in the apartments, if you're familiar with Redondo Beach, and he used to go to the Catholic uh, church that's right there. I used to live right down the street from it, so this is a great story I could relate to, right? And Johnny, when he was nine years old, he had a single mom. He was the only kid, and his mom was a great mom. Um, she 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 loved him. She 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 did the best that she could as a single mom. And he would have chores that he would go and he told me the story that one day his mom handed him ten one dollar bills, ten one dollar bills, and and it was right before he was going to go to this Catholic mass, which he was he, he she. she made sure that he wanted to go to, right, every weekend. And she handed him this ten $1 bills, and she reminded him, now 10% of that, 10% of that is for the Lord. And then she quizzed him at nine years old, like, okay, what's 10% of $10? Oh, that's $1. Okay, good job, Johnny, right? You're on the right track. One of those dollars is going to go to the offering, and she taught him, and, and 20% of that should go towards saving for a rainy day. She's trying to teach him life skills. She's a sage, right? This is Sophia wisdom, right? It's God's wisdom. Save for a rainy day and give, right? And, and then, so he goes, okay, I get it. $2, right? And so he's walking to Catholic Church, and he's got his $10. He's got his game plan. He's got his, his mom, Sophia, with him, right? And, and he stops at the liquor store. He ends up spending $4, on on stuff he loves right it's his money he's, he spent four dollars as he was leaving he saw one of his friends and his friends was skateboarding it was all sweaty and wanted a drink and said can i have a dollar he said okay well i have plenty uh, my mom always teaches me to be generous here's a dollar right so now he's walking over to catholic church got his whole bag of of goodies right and he's all excited uh, he got a big heart because he just was generous and then he sees another one of his friends who wants to sell him a used skateboard, which he really loves, for only $5. I mean, it's a deal that he cannot pass up. So he buys this skateboard, goes to church. When he gets home, his mom asks him, how was church? And then she asked him, did you put your 10% in the offering? Now, Johnny doesn't want to lie to his mom, so he, 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 he just explains to her... All the important expenditures really highlighting how generous he was to his friend giving her a dollar. And he says, this is him in his older age. She wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. That week she, she helped him uh, do extra chores to earn a little bit of extra money. And she walked him over uh, by like, like with his hand. And they together put in two weeks worth of, of offering. She was teaching him life skills. Now here's the thing, as apprentices of Jesus, we should give to the kingdom work. Most of us understand that. Somewhere along the way, we were taught that, or we picked that up somewhere. People who follow Jesus. Now you might have had a really bad view of church, and you thought, oh, they're just greedy. And, and, but then once you become a Christian, you realize like part of the deal now, part of the change is, like apprentices of Jesus give financially, towards the work of God. But is this what the, te- the scriptures teach? Are we supposed to give 10% a tithe? Dave Ramsey is a great kind of guru if you're looking for um, some help in, in, in managing your finances. He has a great ministry called, I think it's a uh, uh, Financial Peace. In, uh, you can do it online. Financial Peace University. You could take the course online or you could find a church that's doing it if you just kind of Google it, uh, Dave Ramsey. But he says a tithe is a specific amount, 10% of your income. It's kind of giving you an education about these terms we use. Tithe is a specific amount, 10% of your income that you give first. And an offering is anything extra that you give beyond that. After you have tithed, and paid all your bills and and necessary expenses for the month, you can then use any extra money in your budget to give even more, to be even more generous. The principle of tithing absolutely comes from the Bible. It's just a principle that you see in the scriptures. Actually, Old Testament experts will, will calculate That the Jewish people, they gave a 10% tithe, but but if you calculate all of their giving, it was probably more like 20 to 25% of their income that they were giving back in the Old Testament. Jesus talked a little bit about tithing. Jesus used this idea of tithing in an analogy where he was actually rebuking some of the religious leaders. And Jesus said that they should give 10%, but then he goes, but don't neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness here these leaders were using their privilege their power of influence uh, and, and but they were giving they were tithing but Jesus is like well that's great but why are you using your money and leveraging it and your whole ministry for justice and for the poor and for mercy are you using it so he goes you should tithe but also you should you should it should be more than just this money thing tim keller Another great scholar of our days as a pastor in, uh, in New York, he's kind of the go-to guy if you want some sageness or wisdom um, in our day. He says, in the Old Testament, believers were required to give a tenth of their income to, support, to the support of ministry and the needs of the, of the poor. The New Testament teaches that we should give as we are able Therefore, this, the, the, the tithe is seen as a kind of minimum guideline for giving. In other words, some New Testament scholars are looking at this and go, is the tithe just an Old Testament thing? I mean, Jesus talked about it. And then there's a million questions that you could go like, well, do I give 10% like of, of, of my net or my gross or do I even do I need to look those terms up or like or or what? Like what if I what if I buy a house and I sell it? Do I give 10% of the whole amount or just the amount I made? Profit? There's like a million questions. And he's like, "No, well, I think the wisdom would be like at the point where you're trying to figure all of this out, the point is not is not to figure that out in all the technicalities. Is your heart generous?" Give as you're able. If you're able to give more, you should give more. If you're, like, trying to figure things out and you need to go to the Financial Peace University and get your finances, like, like maybe you might give a little bit less uh, in this season, but your heart wants to give more. I want to I figure this out, right? It, it's more of a heart issue than a technicality issue. But here's a fact. USA Today says that an average American spends 18000 a year on non-essentials. We spend a lot of money. If you made $180,000 last year, which most of you guys are like, I wish. If you made $180,000, that would be 10% of your income on stuff you don't need. For most of us, $18,000 is way more than 10%. That we spend on stuff we don't need. We're like Johnny, buying a skateboard and, you know what I mean? Barna Research Group is a Christian. They they do a bunch of surveys. This one's not a fake. This one isn't from Hogsworth. But they say average Christians who who mark on a survey that they consider themselves very committed to church. So these are people who are very committed to church. They give, on average, (laughs) 2.6%. Now, to give you some reference, this is the lowest point in history. It's the lowest average in history the church has given. Even lower than during the American Great Depression. The church is less generous towards God's kingdom than it ever has been in history. Another church stat organization estimates that less than 25% of the people who go to church give anything at all. Less than 25%. And this is an interesting fact. Those who make $20,000 or less are eight times more likely to give than those who make $75,000 or more. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7, he says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give Or should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So some of the principles that we see in this passage are that God is calling us, or Paul is giving us wisdom that we should give generously. Give generously. It's not the amount that matters. Remember the widow who puts in two coins was very generous. You go, well, how far is that two coins going to go? In God's kingdom, very far. I mean, in God's kingdom, where a couple of loaves of bread can feed 5,000, two coins could probably do a lot. And this huge wad of crack, cash, that didn't impress God. It's not about the amount, because God is so far above that. He already has everything. If you give him a big wad of cash, you think God's impressed? He's like, you remember, remember when you watched the sunset? I made it. <laughs> You think he's impressed with your money? No. But he wants you to give generously. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 8, a chapter before, Paul is giving them, the, the context of this, of this letter is that Paul is, he wants, he wants the people of, of Corinth to give a specific tithe that's going to help the people who are suffering, the Christians who are suffering in Jerusalem. If you know church history, they're suffering greatly. In Corinth, they have a lot. He goes, we're gonna take up a collection. I want you to be extra generous for the people, for your fellow brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. It's a great cause. And in chapter 8, he kind of gives them this like brotherly, I don't know what you call it, but it's maybe brotherly love, or just kind of like it's almost like a noogie. <laughs> we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you're from Corinth, like Corinth is like Manhattan Beach, and, and, um, and Macedonia is more like Lawndale, right? And I love Lawndale, but it's not as affluent as Manhattan Beach. And so, so basically, Paul's like, hey, Manhattan Beach. The people in Lawndale just gave a huge amount, and you guys haven't given yet. <laughs> That's kind of the idea. A little noogie. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, they're facing a, a really big trial. Like they're, they're just, they're hurting. But, but their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overwhelmed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They're probably not giving as much as you are able to give, but they, they gave like the widow above and beyond what they were, felt like they were able. In their suffering, they gave. And he goes, I can testify that according to their ability they gave and beyond their ability of their own accord. They just did it naturally. I didn't even have to talk to them about it. It's a little noogie. Generosity to Paul equals sacrificiality. Give sacrificially. God doesn't need your money. Your joy in giving is the issue to Paul. God wants all of your heart. And, and the First step for some of us is to give a little bit of our money. He wants all of your heart. And the first step is to give some of our money. Give generously, give consistently. He says each person should do as he has decided in your heart. Church, maybe this is one of the applications for you. Have you already decided as part of your kind of rule of life or your 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 game plan for your spiritual journey as your apprenticeship? Have you sat down with your spouse if you have one, or 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 or, wherever you're at? Have you sat down and decided in your heart what you're going to give? Have you come up with your own decision about that? The wrestling with the ten percent and all that. Well, have you? Before we even get there, the technicalities. Is your heart desiring to give? And he says, give cheerfully. I want to share with you some wisdom that I, I, I read from a pastor in Texas. His name is Geoff Ashley uh, from, from the church where Matt Chandler is the pastor. He's, one, he's another one of the pastors. And he says, he says this, and I think this applies definitely to our finances, but to so many areas of our life. So let's sit here for a second. He says, if you can't give cheerfully, if, you, you, if you're like hearing like... Like, oh, another talk about money. If you can't give cheerfully, he's like, Paul's like, give joyfully, not reluctantly. Like, like make it a thing of worship. Well, what what if you're not there? Well, here's some good advice. If you can't give cheerfully, give anyway. Don't compound your internal sin with external sin. But as you do... Confess your struggle. Seek clarity on the disconnect between your heart and the gospel. Pray for joy. And then walk in repentance. I feel like this could be... And so, like if you, if you don't feel like going to church one Sunday, go anyways. Don't let your internal conflict become an external conflict. But don't just go reluctantly. Go repentantly. God, why is it that I'm, in this season my heart doesn't want to go to church? We've all been there. If, if, if we get up to worship and our worship team comes back up and we'll have you guys, actually, why don't you guys come on up? We'll, we'll use them as an object lesson. As the worship team comes back up, maybe you don't feel like standing up and singing and raising your hands and praising God. But here's a fact. He is worth it. The worship is authentic always, right? It's, he's always worth it. Worship, whether you feel like it or not, is always authentic because he is authentically worth it. But if you're there, don't just sing with a dark heart. Repent and ask God's light to come in. And as you sing, to change your heart. If you don't feel like it, do it anyways. But that's a check engine light. So check in with God on it. And repent. Because generosity is an expression of worship. That's the third thing in your notes. Generosity is an expression of worship. He says in 2 Corinthians 8-9, he says, For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Here Paul is using the analogy that Jesus was in heaven live in large. He was rich. He, it was things are good in heaven. You guys agree with that? We get that concept, right? We don't know exactly what heaven's like. We know it's better than here. That's where Jesus was. He was rich. But he came here and became poor. He came poor for us. So that with his poverty we might become rich. Now, here's an idea of salvation, but here's the general principles. If we want to be apprentices of Jesus, we want to spend time with Jesus, we want to do that in a moment here when we're worshiping. Intimacy with God is the goal of, of corporate worship, in my opinion. The fact that in our South Bay, we don't show up early to meet with God in worship, like we, 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 that blows my mind. I mean, I get it because I'm from the South Bay, but like, I just wish I just want that to change. I want us to show up five minutes early and be like, I can't wait to spend time with Jesus in worship all week long. I'm all distracted. I can't wait to get here. Right. I just want that because we want to be with Jesus. And we want to become like Jesus. And we want to begin to do the things that Jesus would do if Jesus was in our shoes. And here's a fact. Jesus was a generous giver. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to figure out how to be generous givers. In 2 Corinthians nine twelve, he goes like this. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. As you give your money, Corinth, like Macedonia did, it will not only meet the needs of the people in Jerusalem who are suffering, but it will also be an expression of your worship. And everybody in this society and amongst you is going to see your good deeds and give glory to God. Just like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine so that everyone will see your good deeds and give glory to God, as we give as an act of worship, as we sing as an act of worship, as we show up as an act of worship, as we serve as an act of worship, people will see that and they go, I, I get the motivation behind that. It must be coming from somewhere, it must be coming from their love for their God. They really believe this stuff. I want to figure out more about it. Our generosity overflows into worship. This week, here's a couple of practices that we, might, that we might take next steps with. The first thing is this. Some of you, some of us, for sure this guy, needs to give his whole heart to God. It's so easy to get distracted or to hold some back or to, or, or to, or to just kind of get numbed or dulled or apathetic. Each week, we get an opportunity to repent and re-acknowledge our total devotion to God through Jesus Christ who gave his total devotion as he came from heaven to earth to give your whole self to God. Before we give a little bit of our money, the first step is to give all of our hearts and then our actions will follow. The second thing I would give as a practice would be this. Decide in your heart. Here's a practical one. Decide in your heart with your spouse or, or, or by yourself or with, with your team or with whatever it is that, 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 that figures out how you spend your money. Decide in your heart what you will give. Make a plan what you will give. And then get some resources. In, in a few weeks, we're going to begin a class. Brittany's going to teach where we're going we're gonna to read a book. Um, called Treasure Principles, and Brittany's gonna lead a little bit of class that goes through the book. Um, sign up for that. You get the book, I don't know, it's like five or six bucks. It's not a, expensive. And then you can come to the three-week class and learn more about this. Google Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. I'll tell you, the class is $130, but it's a, like 11-week online course that you can take, and it will really help you figure out how to live within your means So that you can be more generous. So let's give ourselves to God. Let's make a plan for how we're going to give our money to God. And let's get help if we need help. Those are some practical steps. I want to pray and I want to ask you guys to go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into a time of worship. Heavenly Father, as we stand to our feet, whether we feel like it or not, for those who are able to stand, I just pray, God, that our hearts would stand with us that our eyes would look up to heaven. I just want to acknowledge as we enter into worship a few things that we acknowledge that everything that we have, everything is yours, God. And that you have given us everything that we have. And a portion of that you've given to us so that we can participate in what you're doing in the world and in our neighborhood and and in the poor. And God, for any of us who haven't, haven't had the opportunity, haven't been taken advantage of that wonderful blessing, I pray, God, that you would help us, that you would move us towards that, that you would increase our joy, that you would increase our peace as we, as we give our control over to you. I pray, God, that you would just help us to spend this time with you. I pray, God, that you would help us to become more like you, I pray, God, that you would help us to begin to live our lives the way that you would live if you were in our shoes. And right now we want to give you all of our hearts in corporate worship. I pray that this time would be a powerful time where we would meet with you intimately and be changed from the inside out and ready to go change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. You can find all our sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.